take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 31 to 47 this morning. And the question we're going to be talking about is, who will you listen to? Who will you listen to? Listen to what John writes here. Chapter 5, beginning at verse 31. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is valid. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John, for the very work that the Father has given me to finish, in which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from from the only God. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for the scriptures, again, for the truth that it contains, for the power of the words of Jesus and the testimonies that were given about him. And I pray that you would help us today to see how important a passage like this really is for our world and the questions that are being asked today. Lord, help us to know you and to know the answers that your word gives. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember where you were when you heard the news that the I-35 bridge had collapsed? I think for all of us, we can probably remember where we were. Maybe we were driving in our car. Maybe we were on the way home from work. Or maybe you're already at home and you were watching the news like I was. I was shocked by it. I mean, when I heard the news that the bridge had collapsed, my first thought was for family and friends who live in that area and who travel across that bridge every day. Well, imagine that someone came up to you who didn't know anything about that event. And they said to you, I don't believe it. I mean, bridges don't just collapse. I mean, I don't believe that that really happened. Now, it might be hard to find somebody like that since the news of that event is so well known. But how would you prove to them that something like that had actually taken place? I mean, that's a pretty major event. What would you do? Well, you'd probably look for maybe pictures or video footage, and yet people could say, well, you know, you can do a lot with photos today and editing. Maybe that was just special effects or trick photography. 
like what happened after 9-1-1 when there were photos on the internet of people standing on the balcony waving with a plane in the background. Those didn't really happen either. And there are times when people can touch up photos and make it look like something that isn't real. How else would you try to prove that? Well, I think the best way that you would try to prove something is by finding witnesses. Those who were there, those who saw the event, those who were uh, close enough to it to be able to say, I saw it, I know it happened, I believe that it is true because I was there. The same thing happens when we come to the Scriptures. When we come to the Scriptures, the Bible is talking about some pretty major events that took place here. How do we know that they are true? We know it on the basis of those who were there, on the basis of the witnesses who saw and who wrote these things down. In the passage that we looked at last week, Jesus, for example, made some pretty outstanding claims about his relationship with the Father. He claimed, for example, that he and the Father are one, that he is equal with God, that he is indeed divine. He claimed that the Father and the Son are also identical in their purpose and activity. He claimed that the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father in a special relationship that they have with one another. He claimed that the Son has the power to give life just as the Father gives life. And he claimed that the Father has given all judgment to the Son. And one day, everyone will stand before him. You can understand why those who heard Jesus make those kind of claims would be shocked. No one had ever spoken like this before. No one had ever made those kind of statements about themselves. And we also talked last week about how a person who claimed those kinds of things would either be deluded, would be a liar, or it's true. So how did Jesus prove the claims that he made? And why is it important for us to be able to give evidence or prove these things to others? Well, that's because in our world there are many different voices that are competing for our attention. And there are many people who would take these events that are talked about in the Bible and say, I don't believe it. I don't believe it ever happened. How do you prove that they are true? And I think especially of students today. You know, whether you are in school now or you're going off to college in a few years or you're uh, searching in that period of your life where you're trying to say, do I really believe this? Are these things true for me? Or do I believe it just because my parents said we need to be ready. We need to have the answers and to be assured in our faith that these things are true. Uh, for example, there's a movie that's just come out called The Golden Compass. The movie itself isn't so bad in this first one and what it's saying, but the author who wrote the books on which these movies are based and they're a trilogy uh, is an avowed atheist who really wants to disprove the claims of Christianity. Uh, he hates C.S. Lewis. He hated the Chronicle of Narnia series because of what they did in terms of giving evidence or pointing people to Christ and to spiritual things. And so he chose to wrote a series that would go the other way, that would lead to the death of God as it goes through these books. The harm perhaps isn't in the first movie, but the harm can come 
as children become interested in the movies and the books and begin to read them. There's a philosophy there that is anti-Christian and that attacks the person of God. How do you respond to that? Who are you going to listen to? You know, it wasn't too long ago uh, when uh, we would study some of these things, the evidences for the faith in seminary, and nobody was asking the questions. The good news is that today, because of things like the Da Vinci Code, or the movie The Golden Compass, or other things that are happening in our world, people are interested in spiritual things, but they're looking in the wrong places for the answers many times. And they need those who know the Scriptures well enough to be able to give them answers to the questions that they are asking. So how did Jesus prove His claims? Well, in the passage we're going to look at today, He points to those who would give a testimony about His identity. And it's interesting how Jesus introduces it because in verse 31 He says, uh, basically, if I testify about myself, my testimony is not valid. What he's saying there is not that his testimony is not true if he's the only one speaking about these things, but he's saying if I'm the only one saying that I am the Son of God, my witness wouldn't hold up in a court of law. Everything was to be confirmed on the basis of two or three witnesses. And in the passage we'll look at this morning, Jesus gives five witnesses to his identity. Witness number one, the first one he will call to the witness stand, if you will, is John the Baptist. He tells us here in verses 33 to 35 that you have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony. I mean, Jesus didn't need human testimony to validate who he was. But he said, I mention this that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. The way that Jesus states that there in verse 35 in kind of the past tense indicates that by this time John the Baptist was either in prison or he had died. He had been beheaded by Herod. We read in the other Gospels that Jesus learned about this event when John the Baptist had been put to death just prior to the feeding of the 5,000 which is in the next chapter. So it could be that Jesus has been told this news about John's death. And he said, you chose for a time to listen to him and enjoy his light, but he has now passed from the scene. You listened to John, and what did John say about me? John said, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. John knew Jesus. He was his cousin. And John was respected by the people as a man of God and as a prophet. The character of this man as a witness was pretty good. And he would say that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew and recognized who Jesus was And he is the first witness that Jesus points to. The second witness that he points to is found in verse 36. It is the miracles that Jesus performed. And he calls them a testimony weightier than that of John 
There is a second witness. And this witness is even greater than the first. It is the work that the Father has given me to do, Jesus says. What is that work? It includes the whole mission of why He came. It includes the miracles that He would perform and the acts of healing, His teaching, all of the things that He did in His public ministry that people could see. The miracles Jesus performed are a part of that work, and John calls them signs because they point to a greater spiritual truth. And remember that John told us at the end of his gospel that there were many miracles that Jesus did that he could have selected and included in this book, but he didn't. He was particular in the miracles that he chose. And he said, I have chosen these in order that you may believe that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. And what we find in the book of John is that there are seven miracles or signs that are given. The first miracle was turning water into wine. And it was a miracle about spiritual transformation. Jesus brings joy to life. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and might have it abundantly. And just as He could turn water into wine, He can turn sinners into saints. There's a new beginning taking place here. The second miracle was the healing of the official's son. And Pastor Ron talked about that. This boy that was close to death and this man who came to Jesus seeking life. Jesus is the source of life and health. And the third miracle, the healing of the paralytic at the beginning of chapter 5. There was a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. He was unable to heal himself, unable to do anything to change his condition. And Jesus came to him and spoke the word, and he was well. We too are powerless spiritually to change our condition. And we need the touch of God on our life. In the miracles that follow, the fourth one will be the feeding of the multitude that's found in chapter 6. It's a dramatic miracle in which Jesus is like Moses. That just as Moses provided bread for people in the wilderness, here Jesus takes them into the wilderness and provides for them their food. And what they begin to realize is that it wasn't Moses that gave them that bread. It was God. It was Jesus who was their provider. He is our provider and He is our spiritual food. The fifth miracle is the one of walking on water, which is found in chapter 6 also, in between the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus' explanation. It shows His authority over nature. And here is a man who is not bound by the things that we see in our physical universe because He is God. And when He sent the disciples that night and He sent them to go to the other side where He was going to meet them, He then came walking across the water to them. And they thought they were seeing a ghost. They had never seen anything like this. Who is this one who can calm the wind and the waves? Who is this one who can defy physical limitations and barriers? He is Jesus. The sixth miracle will be the healing of a blind man. He is able to open the eyes of the blind and to give sight. And the seventh miracle will be the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus, who was dead four days, buried in the tomb, 
and Jesus brings him to life. Lazarus could no more raise himself from the dead than you or I could. Jesus stepped in and gave life where there was death. And in the same way that he can give physical life, he can give spiritual life. You see how all of these miracles point to a greater spiritual reality. I mean, who can do these kinds of things? No one but God can do this, and that is who Jesus is. And you can understand why the disciples who saw these kinds of miracles were stunned by them and came to believe that Jesus was who He claimed to be and wrote these things down for our benefit. You know what Jesus does here in these miracles? is exactly what He does in your life and mine when we are born again. Whenever someone comes to place their faith in Jesus Christ and they are born again by the Spirit of God, what does Jesus do? His eyes that were spiritually blind, He opens and He gives us sight to see. And this heart that was dead and lifeless spiritually, He makes new and He gives us life. You think of all the changes that He brings in us when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. He opens our heart, opens our mind, opens our ears, opens our eyes so that we can see. And what does He give us? He gives us life and health. He gives us forgiveness of sins, a relationship with Him, promise of eternal life in His very presence. It's amazing. Why did Jesus do these miracles? To prove that He has the power to do what He says. The third witness that's written down here is the witness of God the Father. It's in verses 37 and 38. He said, The Father who sent me has Himself testified concerning me. You have never heard His voice nor seen His form, nor does His word dwell in you, for you do not believe in the one that He sent. He is speaking to the Jewish leaders there and He's saying, You don't believe this and you have never heard the voice of God in your life. But others have. You do not believe because you refuse to believe. But others have heard and they have put their faith in Jesus. We see in the Scriptures that the voice of God spoke at His baptism. Matthew 3.17 says, God spoke when Jesus was baptized and He said, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. That voice again was heard at His transfiguration when the glory of Jesus shone through and His garments began to shine brilliantly whiter than any launderer can wash them. They saw the glory of the Son. And they heard the voice of the Father saying, This is My Son whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. And again a third time in John chapter 12, verse 28, the voice of the Father will speak. Jesus said to the Father, Glorify Yourself. And the Father said, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the people who heard that sound thought that it had thundered or thought that an angel had spoken. Again, it takes ears to hear, doesn't it? It takes eyes to see. And the disciples did hear. And they gave testimony to these things. And what sort of witnesses were these disciples? 
Well, they gave their life for what they believed. And do you know what? Today, there are still millions who would do the very same thing because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There is a voice that speaks to us too. It is not an audible voice, but it is the voice of the Holy Spirit who comes and who speaks to us. And part of His ministry is to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. It's the voice of God who when we hear the Scriptures or hear the Gospel says, this is true. This is true. Trust Him. Trust in these things. And listen to My Son. For He is the Savior of the world. Napoleon once said, I know men and I can tell you that Jesus Christ is not a man. Superficial minds see a resemblance between Christ and the founders of empires and the gods of other religions. But that resemblance does not exist. There is between Christianity and whatever other religions the distance of infinity. I search in vain in history to find the similar to Jesus Christ or anything that can approach the gospel. But neither history nor humanity nor the ages nor nature offer me anything with which I am able to compare it or explain it. Here everything is extraordinary. The fourth witness that Jesus points to is the witness of the Scriptures. And it's found in verses 39 and 40. He says that you diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the Scriptures that testify about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. At that time, the Scriptures that they studied were the Old Testament. For us, it is both the Old and the New Testament. But what's interesting here is how they studied the Scriptures and they dug into them. And they thought that the Scriptures themselves would give them life, and yet they missed the main point. It would be like studying a, a love letter that you had received for the punctuation and the grammar, and yet forgetting who had written it and what it was really about. It would be kind of absurd to do that. But they took great care to study the Scriptures in minute detail. They counted every word, every letter of every book of the Torah that was written, and when they copied it, they wanted to make sure that it was done exactly, precisely. That's why we have such a good record of the Scriptures in our possession today. Because of their care. And yet Jesus is saying for many of them, they missed the message. And they failed to recognize the Son. It's possible to study the Scriptures and not be born again. It's possible to go to church and not be born again by the Spirit of God. We need to study the Scriptures with an open heart and mind, allowing God to speak to us and putting our trust and our confidence in Him. When we come to the Scriptures, we see that there are several hundred references to the Messiah in the Old Testament that were written over a period of 1,500 years. It is an amazing study if people will take the time to look at that honestly and think about the uniqueness of the Scriptures and their witness. And these men who wrote the Scriptures wrote down these things for our benefit so we could learn from them something of what God is like and the way He has acted in history. There are also over 60 major prophecies concerning the Messiah that were all fulfilled in Jesus. They tell of His birth, 
his family line, his names, his ministry, his work, where he would be born and live, his death and resurrection. They say that he would be born in Bethlehem. He would live in Nazareth and be called a Nazarene. His primary ministry would take place in Galilee, in that region where Jesus lived. He is called the son of Abraham, the son of Isaac, the son of Jacob. He is of the line of Judah. He's a descendant of Jesse and a descendant of David, the king. All of these things are recorded so that the one who was to come would have to meet every single prophecy that was given in history. His names are given. Names like Emmanuel, God with us. He is called the Prince of Peace. He's the mighty God. He is the wonderful Counselor. There were names that were written about the Messiah who was to come that were astounding. How can all of these things be found in one person? Yet they are. His manner of death and the reason for His death were described by Isaiah. Even His betrayal was talked about. Or the fact that He would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. The price was even given. The fact that His garments would be divided, His side would be pierced, and yet His bones would not be broken. All recorded in the Scripture hundreds of years before the events took place. How do you explain such things? You cannot apart from God. There is a uniqueness to the Scriptures that if people will take the time to study, it is astounding. And if you want to do that, and you want to see a list of all of the prophecies that were given, take a look at a book like Josh McDowell's Evidence That Demands a Verdict and read through the things that are found there and you will be amazed. It is powerful. And the fifth witness that Jesus points to here is Moses himself in verses 45 to 47. He says, But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? You see, the witness of Moses would be especially important for these Jewish leaders because Moses was the lawgiver. He was their deliverer. He was the author of the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch. Moses was the one that they admired and esteemed. It was Moses who led them in the wilderness. But Moses pointed them to Christ. They just didn't see it. In Luke's Gospel, there is a parable that Jesus tells about a rich man and a poor man named Lazarus. The rich man and the poor man both die. The rich man goes to hell. The poor man is at Abraham's side. And the rich man looks up and he asks Abraham to send Lazarus back to warn his brothers. And Abraham replies to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And he says, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to them that if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. 
The irony is that, in that is that they did not believe it. Even when Jesus rose from the dead, they would not believe his words. And the scripture is saying that we have been given all the witnesses we need. We have the witness of those who saw Jesus, like John the Baptist, the apostles who wrote the scriptures. We have the witness of the Holy Spirit. We have the witness of the Father and the voice of God in our life. We have the witness that has been written down here as we come to the scriptures and study it and look at biblical prophecy and the signs that point to Jesus. We have the witness of Moses, whom they regarded so highly. And all of these witnesses agree that Jesus is the Son of God. There's an interesting comment Jesus gives here in verses 41 to 44. And it is this comment that how ironic it is that people will believe other men, but they won't believe Jesus. I do not accept praise from men, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts, and I have come in my Father's name. And you do not accept me, but if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. They wouldn't believe Jesus, but if somebody else came in their own name, they would believe them. And isn't that exactly what people often do today? I mean, again, how ironic it is that people will believe other men, but not Jesus. People will listen to and follow the philosophies of a man like Carl Sagan or a Karl Marx. They will look up to and want to be like a well-known athlete or a rock star or a movie star or a celebrity. They will follow to the letter the advice of a financial expert or maybe even a personal trainer, but not Jesus even though many will acknowledge that there's never been someone like Jesus. There's never been a better teacher or leader or person who walked this planet. Yet who is more trustworthy than Jesus? And who cares more about your life or your future than Jesus? Nobody does. And yet so often in our world, people want to turn the other way. And listen to the voices of our world that are calling to them, saying, walk this way. And it leads them away from life. So who will you believe? And who will you listen to? Will you listen to the voice of the Son of God? And will you trust Him that His will is best for your life? And that His will leads to eternal life the father has spoken this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased listen to him let's pray father when I think of a passage like this what comes to mind for me are those people that I know who are struggling in their relationship with you or who really don't know you at all. And they're just following the voice of the world. And they're trying to find happiness in so many different directions. But they really aren't happy. Because real joy is found in a relationship with you. And my heart goes out to them. And Lord, I pray that you would equip us to be 
witnesses for you. We can't persuade anyone to believe with our own words. But you can open their hearts and their eyes. And Father, I pray today for those that, and I would ask all of you to pray as well, for those that you know who need to know Christ. Lift them up before His throne of grace and pray that God would work in their heart and pray that you might have an opportunity to share with them. And if there's anyone here today who's never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to look at the evidence that's found in the Scripture. Open your eyes, open your heart, and let Jesus show you the truth of what He has there for you. We ask this all in His name.